Grotto Pod. Uh, I am in the Grotto Pod along with a notebook paper that I'm wrestling around. Bridget Quinn, author, is in the Grotto Pod. And I'm wearing a sweater. That was a huge that mistake. That was a big mistake. What are you doing? Uh, today in the Grotto Pod, we have a myriad of things to discuss and a myriad of issues to overcome. Oh my God, Bridget's taking off her sweater. I have to. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll die. This is a first for the Grotto Pod, <laughs> actual disrobing during the podcast <laughs> itself. Um, our guest today is Dashka Slater, also an author. Imagine that. I know. Another on the Grotto Pod. Hey, let's have an author. Yeah, but on she's the, the kind we've never had before. You know, she is a, uh, what I used to call a multi hyphenate, what we used before. Yeah. The old slash. She's also a kind of author that I don't know that I, I mean, I knew it had to exist, but uh, she writes, uh, her most recent book is YA Nonfiction. Yes. Which I didn't quite know about. I didn't either, and I, I sort of hesitated to call it YA, because I always felt like YA was a fiction sort of I thing. I know, I think so. Well, I could, have this, I could have this wrong. But it's written for young people. Right. And it's a, it's a, it's a very intense, journalistic story of an yes. event that happened in the Bay Area. Yes, and what to me is another of the more interesting onion-like layers to peel off of Dashka's story is that she comes upon this after already writing six children's books yeah. and one adult, adult. Yeah, yeah, novel. adult. Adult novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the adult novel was called The Wishing Box. Yep, and, and it, it did came really out in well. 2000. It did really well. It was an L.A. Times best book of the year. Uh, and um, We should all do so well. Well, so I want to get this story. From there, she goes back to children's books, mm-hmm. and then she happens upon this Well, story. back, she hadn't done it. That was her first book. Oh, it was? Yeah. Okay, oops. Nice I research. think. We better find Rosa. this out. We'll we find, find that out, out before she gets here, guarantee you. We do fact check here on <laughs> By asking people yeah. questions. <laughs> well, really, how better than just go to primary sources? You know... You may not be a journalist. I was going to say, we are not journalists. I may not be a journalist. Yeah. But we know journalists. Yes. And they tend to focus on primary... Right. Um, people. It's interesting that we keep getting closer to these mics, even though we're not sure if they're working. I know. Are we going to talk about mics again this week, like, I, endlessly? I hope not. I think Sorry, I should, Kirsten. Chen, we're gonna apologies do is, to you. We're just, well, the sound actually turned out okay now. What we're going to okay. do eventually is we're just going to huddle around my computer and yell into it. We're just going to use the, the ambient mics there and just yell into them. Um, Dashka's new book is The 57 Bus, a true story about two teenagers and the crime that changed their lives. Oh, my God, yeah. It is intense. Uh, what I really want to find out is how she came about... You know, I'm always interested in what motivates writers and how she decided this was going to be her next big project. You know, because she lives in Oakland where it happened. And in some ways, although I can see thinking to yourself, okay, this is something I have an intimate knowledge of. I have a community I can draw on. Mm -hmm. But it's also a little scary to write about something so explosive in your own community. Well, and she started by writing a really long and really good New York Times article that I read yesterday. Was it yesterday? I don't know. The days all seem to just flow together. They flow together. Um, so I want to know, you know, I always, I'm always curious when someone writes a big article and then it becomes a book, you know, which chicken or egg, what came from, did someone say, Hey, you know what, let's make this into a book. What's the decision to go from New York times? That's for adults, Mm -hmm. right? That's to uh, a book that's for younger readers. I mean, not super younger. Let's say that I've read portions of it and it's, um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily know it was written for mm-hmm. a younger audience. Well, and that begs the question that uh, Dr. Frank Portman brought up yeah, um, right. many moons ago. Is right. When you write a YA book, do you intend for it to be YA or do you write a book and then at the end someone says, hey, you know what this is? This is YA. You know, I believe YA is one of the best-selling genres. Is genre is the wrong word for that? 
Oh, shoot. I don't know. At any rate, it's, I mean, that's, and it's mostly read by adults. Mostly mm-hmm. adults read YA. Yeah, because yeah. Because they're great stories. I myself have read Dr. Frank's YA novels. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah. And so, I am going to read Dashka's book also. Yeah. Because I'm super interested in it. So we're going to get her in here. And also, you know what, also another uh, thing that sort of caught my eye was on her website, she includes study guides for teachers for her children's oh, books. Yeah, that's great. So that's mining a whole different area. Than that a is lot of, smart. Yeah. That, and I wonder if that is another chicken and egg thing. Oh, dude, where, I should do that. Yes, you should. That's a really good Perhaps idea. Perhaps not for elementary school teachers, though. No, you but... You seem more like the uh, academia type of deal. Uh, maybe, but a lot of high schools are using it. That's true. Um, that, a lot of high schools are using it. Eh, just high school using my book. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's not super academic in another way, but... Uh, but that's such a good idea. I mean, when I was a high school teacher, I would love to get a study guide. That's a nice thing. Yeah, well, I wonder who, who, where the idea is born of. Yeah. Oh, so do you know this, that Dashka is the child of writers? I did not know that. Both her parents were writers, or are writers, and her brother and her sister are writers. I thought perhaps she was the child of former L.A. Rams offensive lineman Jackie Slater, but I could be wrong. Uh, maybe, re- maybe related. I, I, I just made out. that up that second. Yeah, okay. Or Slater from uh, Days and Confused. How about Slater Kinney? Uh-huh. That's a street in Olympia. Oh, that's where the name comes from? Yes. And I, I love that band, though. S-L-E-A-T-A-E-R. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay, that was dumb so in every way. So we're going to get into the etymology of Dashka's name. Dashka's a cool name. Dashka is a cool name. Uh, her undying fandom for the Oakland A's. Mm. That's what she tweets about a little bit. Oh, I did not know this. But mostly we're going to focus on... I don't on think her. we should start talking about that because I'm a Giants fan. Oh. I'll leave the room if you'd like, and just you guys can just hash it out. Okay. Here. Just make sure you t- talk close to the mics. Yeah. Uh, but mostly we want to get into this sort of wide-reaching, um, I don't want to say erratic career. You know, the choices she's made, just going children's book, adult book, YA book, back and forth. Yeah. I don't know if it's erratic. We'll have to find out. All probably is. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to do that, wouldn't you? That would be pretty awesome. So yeah. let's get into that, and uh, maybe in the meantime, I'll figure out how to get our mics to work. I also just want her to recount the story of the 57 Absolutely. bus. Absolutely, so we know so, what we're talking about, because I didn't want to give it away. Me, same, Honestly, and I, I also want, don't want to missay anything, because it was such a big story in the Bay Area that it yes. may be that my interpretation has been colored by something, and she was really boots on the ground getting the real story. Yes, so we're going to go get her, Okay. and then we'll uh, you know go from there. All right, sounds good. All right. This is the first time we've had a midwife in the <laughs> Grotto Pod. Thank you, BQ, for your fine. <laughs> I didn't Googling. even know that was great journalism at work. But midwifery. I think. I think this is so peculiar to have this particular factoid. Yes, say. exactly. Well, we have so, been talking about you already. Author, children's book midwife. <laughs> um, Dashka. We, uh, we don't want to talk about mid- midwifery. Thank God, because I know nothing about it. But, oh. Well, I bet yeah. you know more than anyone else in this room. <laughs> Maybe. Um, no, actually, I want to lead off with this. Uh, first, the thing that really catches my eye about your career is that you've done so many different things in writing. So I want to start out by having you start out and say, when you started out, let's just say starting out a lot of times. Like 12. Uh, your intention to become a writer what sort of writer did you picture yourself becoming? A wealthy one. Well, oh man! You know, so I, I I pictured. You disappointment. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still getting over this kind of uh, clash of reality and dream. 
I imagine myself living in a rambling old house with a lot of horses because oh, at, the, yeah. at the time this fantasy was hatched, I was about nine years old. And so there was horses involved and also a lot of cats and, oh. you know, a beautiful to view. The horses. Exactly. <laughs> or to ride the horses. I was going to, you know, you can have some training involved. And, uh, yeah. So, so, so it was a lifestyle dream. It really was. You know, I would be spinning my yarns mm -hmm. in some sort of, you know, garret. Looking uh, out over your prancing uh, herd. With exactly. Cats. Cats with cats. Yes, exactly. Were you a yarn spinner as a child? I was. I was. Okay. From pretty much the time I first opened my mouth, stories came out. Mm -hmm. Okay. I just need to back up a little bit because your your dream of writing included a great house and horses, but actually aren't both your parents writers? Both my parents are, are So writers, did you grow yes. up fabulously wealthy? No. I, there was no actual data to support this dream. Right. It was just kind of what I thought I deserved. Yes. <laughs> you know oh, yes. But you do deserve it. As I do gonna, I. I thought I was going to play shortstop for the Mets and I'm left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> These things happen. But both That's your true. parents were writers. What sort of writers were they? And wealthy ones? I think you're the first person we've had yeah, in here. Yeah, second generation. Has, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my father was a sociologist. He wrote a book called The Pursuit of Loneliness that uh, was a bestseller oh. in its day and is still in print. And, Holy moly. I oh, know. And uh, I wish I could say that I, for all of my books. Yeah. So. No kidding. <laughs> and uh, he then eventually became a playwright and a novelist. Where um, the money is. Where the money is. Yeah, exactly. Right. Always running after the money, My the people yep. in my family. Um, my mom started out as a children's book writer and became a poet and playwright. Wow. So, That's so high-minded. I love it. It is, and I'm not I sure. I can't imagine being raised in that milieu. I want to know if, given their backgrounds, if that meant more support for your pursuits or mm. less. That's a good question. Well, you know, I joke on my website that they encourage me to take up a career in banking <laughs> but it's actually Just not true. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, they were very encouraging. It was very much, uh, it, you know, for some in some families to dream of being a writer is like a very exotic dream. It was not an exotic dream for me. It just seemed like the logical thing to do if you like to write. Going into the family business. Exactly. But you have siblings who are writers too. I do. I do. Amazing. I have a brother and a sister who write and wow. – Another sister who is an artist. So, wow. so okay. So, the, so <clears throat> there was none of that. Oh, I hope my parents support this type of deal. No. On the other hand, I couldn't actually like tap them for support uh, financially. Oh, the, you oh, know, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't right. like they were going to be bankrolling my my writing career. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I knew it was somewhere in the East Coast. You know, that East Coast moved West Coast vibe to her. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? How do you... Uh, I would have thought West Coast. Really? Yeah. I've been here a long time. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, some of us have a more of an East Coast radar on uh, them. Okay. Having come from the East yes. Coast myself. Larry is a transplant. I got that from the Mets <laughs> reference. Yeah. See? Oh, right. I, I just had no idea I what he was talking about. In our, I revealed in our intro that you are an A's fan, as I got from your Twitter Oh, yes, yes. a little, uh, little yeah, crispy like, over that one. Like, I she love the Giants. favors the team on this side of the bay. You know, yeah. as I was getting out of my pajamas to come over here and trying to figure out what clothes to put on, I have that this... Is writer's life, by Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
I have this really, this new shirt that I got that I was really excited to wear. And then I realized it was orange. And I said Can't to myself, <laughs> someone's going to think I'm a Giants fan if I wear this. And Especially because we're like two blocks from the stadium. You don't want stadium. that. No, yeah. if you're no. not a fan of a team, you don't want people to mistake you for Absolutely a fan of that not. Team. Exactly. Here's the thing about the A's BQ. Yeah, I know. They're underdogs. I know. I read the book. Always underdogs. (laughs) The problem is they still wear white shoes. They need to stop wearing white shoes. You think that's the problem? That's what keeps me from being a fan. Really? Otherwise. To me, it's just getting there. Well, yeah. I like to see the games live. Oh, yeah. You know well, there's I, plenty of seats. If you should oh, you want to come over, we would welcome you and give you your choice of places to sit. I what I really like to do, and here's the best thing about the writer's life, is sometimes I like to just play hooky and walk over there and go see a day game. Hmm. I know that's wrong, but it's very fun. Is this? It's that's literally a good writer's life. It's literally like two blocks away. Don't you think? Well, no, but you. But a lot of times people can't use their day oh, oh, their so day you tickets. Just, you just get a little. Uh, yeah, like I'm going next Wednesday because a friend of mine can't use her tickets. Interesting. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the writing life. <laughs> that is the writing uh, life. That's why you become a writer. Like, there's no money in it, but there but are day the, games. The yeah, the perks. Um, so you grow up in this atmosphere where everyone's either a writer or an artist. It's it's kind of a normal thing to do. It's not even, you know, it's no one's like, why can't you just be an engineer? What sort of writing did you gravitate to first? So uh, as a kid, I wrote stories and never finished them and poems, Uh which I did finish because they're short. Um, And so as I got older, I began to think that I would be a poet. Mm, And that's what I did in college. I, you know, took a lot of poetry classes and... Uh, you know, worked at the literary magazine and did all that poet oh stuff. Oh my gosh, you did it! You did it! I, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, and the the really troubling part about that for for writers and non writers out there listening is the problem with being a focused, committed writer in college is you do everything, you crush college, and then you get out and there's no job waiting for you. So what did you do? So, uh, well, what I decided to do was to write fiction because I thought, well, you know. That's where the money is. That's right. that <laughs> has like at least some hope. And uh, I worked a lot of crappy jobs to support my writing habit. I worked so temp, good. which oh, I thought, oh, this will work. Uh, you know, I can write for a couple weeks and then I'll go work for a couple mm-hmm. weeks. And you know, I thought that would be great. Did you make enough temping to take those two weeks off? Yes. Oh. Yeah, because I come from a family of writers, and the family motto was low overhead. Oh, but that is <laughs> that nice. is everyone that who is, is listening. Kind of low overhead is the secret of the writing life. Yeah. It really, it really is. is. That is gold. So having parents who are already writers, that is more than telling you how to structure a story. Well, I mean, you, you do have to find a way to manage it. It's not like the other paths in life where you finish school, you get your job, and off you go. I don't know what those are, though. Has anyone has in this room like ever that? gotten a performance review? No. No. Have you? I got one. I had a job, a regular job for a few years. Yeah, I got Uh a performance review. I think I was a teacher, but I never got a performance review. Aren't you supposed to get those? I didn't get them when I was a teacher. Okay. Has anyone in this room ever gotten a promotion? Yes. Do tell. Uh, So right after college, I worked at um, a small software company. Oh. um, That, and this was in the era when... You know, a portable computer was a compact that, you know, that weighed as much as a small truck. Late 80s, I think, we're all around the same Yes, yes. And um, and so it was really exciting. You know, we had these 
you know, carrying a computer uh, you know, around exactly. With you. <laughs> you know, I'd go I to a trade this. show and, you know. <laughs> I have a computer in the suitcase. <laughs> exactly. In this uh, enormous box. And uh, so I was working as an as- assistant to the marketing director um, who then quit. And, and I became the marketing director, wow. which was hilarious and um, would have been a problem if we had had an actual program mm, but um yeah but we were actually i was selling vaporware so it was actually an entirely <laughs> imaginary job for an imaginary product it's the perfect writer's job actually. exactly and you were writing at this time though and you're writing fiction adult fiction at this time i was okay and your first book was big like you hit it out of the park first time. Well, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't know if Your I would first say book was very big. well received. It well, was very okay, well received. That's a better way of saying it. But I mean, a lot of first books are just never noticed. So but that's nice. But here's something people don't generally the know box. when they see a career arc like yours, where you start. And I didn't do the research to know for sure. You started with the novel first. I did. Now I was already working as a reporter by then, okay. and so um, I spent, you know, just a, a short while. 10 years writing my first book. And (laughs) And you said something, actually, I think I wrote this down in my endless research that I thought was absolutely gold. It takes a long time. (laughs) And it's so eloquent too. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a long time. I had no idea. I was a poet, right? So I had no idea how you structure a narrative. But how does a poet become a journalist? Um, So... In after my many years of working as a temp and you know, first as a marketing director and then as a temp, <laughs> then a temp. <laughs> that's the opposite. Um, of I uh, was really got tired of this yeah. working jobs that I hated, and I'm kind of a spoiled brat and don't like to do anything I don't like to do. So same, I uh, I was very sulky about it and. Uh, people kept on saying, why don't you become a journalist? Because they pay. And I was like, no, I don't want to be a, a journalist. Bit, not a ton. <laughs> yeah. But you get like a paycheck. You get a, you get paycheck. a paycheck. Yeah. I mean, compared to being a poet, and it's a big step right, up. That's true. That's, that, that is, is true. At that time, 20 odd years ago, you could just decide to become a journalist. Absolutely. I don't know that you can necessarily be- You do can't that do that anymore. because there are no, there's nobody paying for journalism or because. There's so few people paying for journalists mm. that you can't just show up and yeah, go, all yeah. right, I'm a journalist now. Right. And you can't get trained on the job. That's right, what right. I often tell uh, young people who, you know, want to go into journalism. I used to tell people for years, I was right. like, don't go to J school. You don't need job, to go to yeah. J school. Just go work, one learn my, on the job. One of my first jobs was for a newspaper and I had no background. Yeah. You can't get that job. Yeah. But yeah, because you need somebody also to teach you. If you go in knowing nothing, then you need somebody yeah. To actually take right. your copy, turn it into something they can use, yell at you when you spell people's names wrong, uh, explain to you what your ethical obligations are, all of those things you right. can learn on the job, but there has to be an actual right. workplace. And they used to tell you you could start with, the, you know, get, just to get clips, you could start with community newspapers, but those don't really exist. No. Yeah, that's really true. So you're doing journalism and writing in the evenings, fiction? Yes. Um, So I was writing in the evenings and then I took uh, two different leaves of absence to work on my book. Um, Oh, I like it. So Paid leaves of absence? 
No. <laughs> Low overhead, though. So it didn't Low matter. overhead. Didn't matter. Yeah, I saved my, my so little pennies. Smart. I love it. And um, when I got enough money in the piggy bank, I you know, would take a couple months off and you know, work just on the book. And eventually I did finish it, largely because I learned on the job as a journalist how to structure a narrative, right. mm-hmm. um, which is something that I really had no idea. And so I had written this massive, uh, literally 700-page novel. Um, I'm always fascinated by this. And then did you... Did you cull that into you your narrative into or narrative? or did you start over? Like, now I know where it's going. No, I cut it in half. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I sent it out and the feedback I got was, yeah, this would be great if it was literally 50% shorter. That is almost always true. Yeah. 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 And Even with things that are published, I'm like, hmm, man, they should have cut this. <laughs> yeah. And it, to this day, everything I write is too long and has to that's, be cut. But that's the way. Don't Did, you think? And in what ways did publishing this novel then change your life? Or do you just go back to, now I got a novel? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Well, I yeah. had I happened to have a kid at the same time. Uh, it, the kid didn't take 10 years to gestate, unlike yeah. the novel. But um, it, it came out. She learned that in I, I first school. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that Joshka is not an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> no, she wouldn't fit in the room. That's silly. That's, That's yeah. Yeah, definitely not in this room. Um, <laughs> But she would literally be the elephant in the room, if that were the case. <laughs> <Okay>. Which <laughs> is my ambition, actually. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the book came out and, and the child was born the same year. So it looked like I was awesome. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. You Super woman. I know. You were my model. You were my model. I, was, I had all these women writers in mind, like, I'm going to get pregnant and have a baby and write the novel while I'm – just dating nine months. Nine months. Yeah, well, I'll be sitting I mean, around. I'll be sitting around, and then it will come out, and then I'll have a career and a baby. Boom. Exactly. Yeah, it didn't work for me though. How'd that go for you? Because you had a book. I had a book. Yeah, and I had a baby, and I had a job that I had taken another leave from, yeah. and then I realized that I couldn't actually go back to hmm. the job that I had as a staff writer, where I was writing. Right. Who were you writing? For? I was writing for the East Bay Express. Okay. And at that time, I wrote. Six cover stories, um, which were six to ten thousand words long. Wow, that's um, a novel, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. E- so that was each year. I wrote six of those, and um, three out of every four weeks, I wrote a fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred word um, local news piece. So workload aside, though, you're looking ahead, and you've probably penciled in this income. You're expecting to go back, and I got a kid now. Boom, yep. income. Yeah. So um, instead, I was like, I have an idea. I'll be a freelancer. Uh, <laughs> that's where the money is. I can, I can oh, yeah. confirm. Yeah. But it was this crazy time because it was the first dot-com oh, boom. Yeah, that, and that was so, actually a good time. And um, so I remember having like my first fancy lunch um, with somebody who was like, come join us. And, you know, work in this new, amazing new era where writers are really valuable and will be paid lots of money to produce content. I was just going to say, and we'll call it content. Exactly. Exactly. Remember that? I I remember being shocked. I moved down here in 2000 and immediately found it was a bad situation. So I threw my resume on Craigslist and got 17 calls the next day. It was like having a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it turned out to be a big, fat lie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <I didn't know. laughs> 
<laughs> but the dream was amazing. It was so beautiful. A couple months, man. Yeah, yeah. Stock those, options. Those months. <laughs> <laughs> the days of wine and roses and stock okay. options. Okay, but after writing that novel, which was received really well, you started writing children's books. Yeah, because I had just had a child. Oh, so you had like a little insight. Actually, that's helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, what it felt like was that I rediscovered my first love mm-hmm. because I had been an avid reader as a kid, like a serious nose in a book, yeah, barely ever saw the light of day kind of reader as a kid. And so I'd had this love affair with children's literature. And then I grew up and thought I was supposed to like, you know, other books, grown-up books. And was there any sort of... Uh, um a conscious decision to aim at a certain age group or a, to get a certain message, or were you just writing children's books? I was just, yeah, I just was like, I love I these. And, you know, picture books are much more like poetry than they are anything right. else. And they're that hard, too. I think people have this idea that, oh, I just, it's short, like poetry. It's right, short. exactly. I can do it. So it's easy. It's, yeah. you know, so hard. And it, it's actually a very competitive market to get your work published. Well, does coming into it saying, well, I've been a journalist for 10 years and I have a well-received first novel, does that help you get a leg up? Or is it a completely different world in the children's book world? It's um, it's hard to say. My agent, I, I think, was probably less than overjoyed when imagine. she was like, so what are we doing next? And I was like, how about picture books? <laughs> <laughs> Although when you have a child, I do think it's a, that's a good route. Yeah. You know, it worked – uh, I got a very misguided idea of how the whole thing was going to play out. Right, I was just going to ask you: did, Do you have an illustrator, or did they? Did you just write the text? So I just wrote the text, which mm-hmm. is standard, unless you are right. yourself also an illustrator. That's what I was asking. Yeah, and um, but your mom is an illustrator, right? Uh, my mom is a writer. Oh, I thought she was an artist too. For some reason, okay. Sibling. S- oh, uh, siblings and artists. That's right. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Um. Carry so on. I. Uh, I went to the library and I got a book of like, how do you write children's picture books? And I read that. And um, so then I knew all the, everything there was to know. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) But you got to start. And I think a lot of people, myself included, sometimes think that there's a secret owner's manual to doing this. And sometimes it's as simple as, well, I went to the library. I Googled it. Yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, now I I teach classes on it. And so I stretch that book that I read, you know, into Mm -hmm. six weeks. But, uh, (laughs) but, you know, it is picture books in particular are a lot like screenplays and that there's a structure Mm -hmm. and you have to know the structure. You can then, you know, be very experimental within that structure, Mm -hmm. but you have to know what the structure is that you're exploding before you explode it. Uh, you know, so let's just to recap, I started out among the poets, right. spent some time among Journalists. the fiction members, yeah. uh, fiction writers, and then... Hard-boiled journalists. Exactly. Yeah. You know, drinking and swearing as they do. <laughs> and... See, that sounds fun. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and then, you know, so... Uh, then I come to the children's book writers, who it turns out drink and swear as much as the I was journalists. Just gonna that say, oh. me. I gotta blow off some steam. Yeah. You know, actually, my favorite kids' books that I read my kids were always kind of naughty. Yeah, like, they were pretty. We're on the side of the edgy. children. That's the thing. Right. People right. always think right. that we're on the side of the parents. Like Not those are uh, always the books that are, I hate. Whenever you get that sanctimonious, yes. yeah, like yeah. 
threading through. It's like, ugh. Yeah. Now, the children's book writers are like the the bad influence uncle who yeah, comes over like that. and is like, you know, giving the, the kids like too much candy and saying, hey, you want to try driving the car? I'm interested in knowing the genesis of this project. It was a pretty high-profile incident, but we also want... We didn't explain the incident. We thought it wasn't our place. We'd leave it up to you to explain what it's based on. But you're writing these children's books, and everything's going great. And then you decide to tackle something and, new. And it's so, something that's within your own community. So right. that's so vo- first, possibly volatile. You know, first spark of interest from you. Okay. So uh, let me just... A little bit of context. I yeah, was right. an Oakland reporter for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, even though I'm having a fabulous time writing children's books, I am still a reporter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and still... And that's my bread and butter. So it wasn't completely outlandish for me to then uh, to approach this you as a reporter. You had children's book land. No. Um, so this incident happened in 2013, um, November 4th, 2013. A gender nonconforming kid named Sasha is riding the bus home from school, the 57 bus of the title, um, in Oakland, California, where I live. And uh, another kid is also riding the bus at the same time, a 16-year-old named Richard. Uh, Sasha is uh, dressed in their usual fashion, and you'll notice I'm using they-them pronouns, which is um, Sasha identifies as agender and uses they-them pronouns. Uh, Sasha is dressed in a T-shirt and a fleece and a flat cap, like a newsboy cap, and a skirt. Falls asleep on the bus couple other kids are around, joking around, and one of them, Richard, lights Sasha's skirt on fire, and it erupts into a ball of flame. Sasha is very badly burned, and Richard is arrested the next day at school and charged with two serious felonies with hate crime enhancements and is facing the possibility of life imprisonment. Um, I should emphasize that he was charged as an adult, so he was right, not being treated that. as a juvenile. He was 16, right? He was 16. So all of this takes place in my neighborhood. Right. Sasha lived in my neighborhood. The 57 bus is the bus that my own kid takes home from school. Wow. And it ticks so many boxes. And it's a very complicated story right. of gender, race, economic disparity. Uh, I mean, you could just, the list could That's just go I mean, on and on. So right. Private yeah. schools versus yeah. public schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I mean, incarceration. I mean, there's so many different levels to it. And you have to handle that in a way that you can't write 700 pages. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things I find most interesting and really exciting about this book is it's written for a YA audience, YA yeah. nonfiction in a way. So let's back up a little bit. As a reporter then, your first inclination, I'm guessing, is to think, all right, what's what's the story behind the story here? There's more to this story. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's funny you use that phrase because when I go to schools, that's one of my slides is, mm-hmm. you know, there's always more to the story. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, it was a very big story that garnered international huge. headlines. And, you know, there was, I could hear the helicopters going over my own house, you know, when on the day that Sasha was released from the hospital, you know, it was that kind of story. But to me, it, you know, the, the story behind the story had to do with this city in which I had lived for 30 years um, and in which I was a reporter during those kind of important years in the 90s when um, we saw the explosion of crack cocaine, mm-hmm. of drugs and gun violence and incarceration. And this, to me, was kind of the, 
the next chapter in that story. Living someplace for 30 years is one thing. Being a reporter there is another entirely because you see see things that everyone doesn't see. Yes, exactly. Especially um, you can, certain kinds of people are able to insulate themselves from Mm -hmm. those stories if they want to. Absolutely, which has always been the Oakland story, Mm -hmm. you know, which is that, uh, you know, for many years, anybody who lived in Oakland kind of knew you had to do some you know, explaining as as you would as soon as you said the name of your city, then you get hit by people's stereotypes right. and preconceptions like and fears. Dangerous, exactly. Or, yeah. As people in Chicago now have to right. deal with that right, exact right, same right, right. issue. And so, um, but you know, it was a weird thing because uh, Oakland was a very dangerous city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the most in the country, but that danger it was much more dangerous. If you were black, then if you were of white, course, yeah, and so, but it was white people who would always hit you with all this fear. Um, so that continues to be, in many ways, the story of Oakland. Even though the um, gun violence problem is better than it was, it's still a story in which uh, people of color are, live a, a life in which there is much more danger overall than people who are white. And it is, you know, and there is now this huge income disparity. Yeah, because if, if you're not from the Bay Area, a lot of the, um, you know, the prices of homes and rents in San Francisco have pushed people out. And so there's been a big exodus to Oakland. Yes. It's the new Brooklyn. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes. And, you know, I've also been around long enough to remember when, you know, the, the catchphrase was, Oakland will always have great potential. And <laughs> and Oakland is where there was no there there right. That's what Gertrude Stein meant. Yeah, uh, yeah. What Gertrude Stein meant was that her particular memories uh, were no longer there. Ah, um, oh, you know, that's, that's and a very that, different uh, yes. perspective the other on one that quote. Describes suburbs. There's yes, no there, there. yes. Yeah. yeah, no. She was talking about going back to the city in which she grew oh, up oh, and how much going. of it had changed, which is a very familiar story right now. Completely, um, and. Gertrude Stein actually went to Oakland High School, which is where Richard went, right. um, oh, and which is also my neighborhood high school. Mm. Uh, so, so this because, hits you on a number of levels. Yeah, and as yeah. a parent, and so taking and taking, yeah, and the, how much? What's the difference in age be, between your child born in two thousand and the people in this story? Uh, if very close, two years. Two years yeah. 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 So you take all this in. And you stew on it, and then what do you decide to do? So I was immediately had a couple of areas of curiosity. You know, one was as Sasha's parents uh, came out to the press and said, um, "Our kid wasn't just wearing a skirt. Our kid is a gender and um, uses they/them pronouns and so on." Um, that was the first time I had heard that term back in the distant past of 2013 and the innocent days of it, 2013. yeah and so you know and i thought like i'm from the bay area i really have a lot of right. so- sophistication around sexuality and gender mm-hmm. and all this stuff and here was something that was totally new to me so i had a lot of questions of just you know how do you know that you're agender what does that mean how does that manifest what does that mean in terms of your sexuality and so there was that was one set of questions mm-hmm. Um, And then I had another set of questions around the juvenile justice system 
and Richard being charged as an adult. And I have questions about that. Like, yeah. it, can it just be decided? You just decide? They use mitigating circumstances, right? Or supposedly well, they use mitigating circumstances. I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but I find that fascinating. It is fascinating. And it's, you know, again, one of those things that tells us a lot about mm. uh, changing attitudes. And when I was talking about kind of this being the next chapter, uh, so in 2000, California voters passed an initiative that gave the district attorney the power to choose whether to charge a juvenile as an adult or not. Yikes. Previous to that, it had been decided in a hearing before a judge where both sides would have the opportunity to right. present evidence. So now it's all on the DA. Because so now it's all on the DA. Richard had very difficult circumstances yeah. in terms of his experience of violence, death, violent death. Um, you know, a kid who had not gotten to 16 unscathed at all. At all. At all. And also, but at the same time, you know, even though there were many factors that were pressing on Richard and made it more likely that he would be somebody who would uh, commit violence, having been the victim of violence, he also had a lot of people who were rooting for him and who really liked him. He had a mother he was close to. He had teachers who liked him. He had a boss who liked him, you know, and so... There were, you know, even though he was a kid who had troubled circumstances, he was also a kid that people uh, liked and felt was likely to do well in life. Mm. Is that impossible now? Uh, no, I don't think it's impossible. Because uh, he's getting out this year? Yeah, he's getting out this yeah. year. Oh, but we were just talking about this, I think, when the mics were off, that the problem with Google is it will follow you everywhere. Yeah. Well, especially this will definitely Right. I mean, you can't everywhere. reinvent. I think there was a time not even that long ago in the 70s and 80s, you could actually completely reinvent yourself. It's so – it's such a complex story, and it must have made people's heads explode because you have people from two victimized classes clashing. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I mean, Sasha's at MIT. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, you can see the ways in which uh, the, there's certain inequities built into the system. Mm -hmm. And that even though Sasha, by virtue of being gender nonconforming, has a tremendous amount of pressure being placed on them. Definitely. Um, still, this these inequalities around race, class, education... Um, are very, very powerful. Yeah, because maybe we're saying that Sasha was at a private school, a very esteemed private school. Right, and I don't quite understand that because wasn't their father a kindergarten teacher? Yeah, mother yeah. Was but you could, go, you could go to private school and have tuition assistance. Tuition assistance. I mean, it, it's more but, of a but cultural if, but choice. if that's the case, then, I mean, still, you're not talking about a rich kid. No, they're, they're, they're not a rich family. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, there were certain... One thing that I think about a lot in terms of these two kids is around learning issues. Um, mm -hmm. Sasha has Asperger's and um, was able to get a lot of help and support from their family, you know, both because their father's an educator, but also because they are uh, educated people um, interested in, you know, learning styles and were able to give and also just incredibly lovely people. And will pursue it for their child. Yeah. Like they have the time or the energy or the wherewithal in some way to well, pursue they're, it. They're, they're engaged parents. They're engaged parents, but, Although you know. it sounds like Richard's mother was as well. Richard's mother was. And, you know, so it wasn't uh, like, how much do you love your kid or right. how much are you rooting for your kid? 
But Richard's mother told me that um, she, you know, several times had considered having Richard tested for ADD and felt that he probably had some learning issues, unclear what they are because they were not ever diagnosed, but didn't because was concerned that a black kid who has been diagnosed Mm -hmm. with a learning issue would be put into a special ed class Mm -hmm. or just medicated. I I will say that the crime itself, which was a kind of impulse, that diagnosis would make a big difference. I mean, and, I mean, yeah. for any 16-year-old boy, if you've ever taught them, which Larry and I have, mm-hmm. um, the distance between thought and impulse is – thought and action is instantaneous. Yeah. It's Absolutely. very hard. But what was, the, what was the feelings on the other side of the coin that you can't run around setting fire to an agendered kid's skirt? Right. Which I think is a fairly, you right. know, incontrovertible incont- statement, you know, right. <laughs> like right. – Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. But there had to be some, some momentum – among people saying, yeah, this is a hate crime. Oh, yeah. It was. It was. It was was charged charged as a hate crime. And there was, I mean, the interesting thing is that some of the people who you would expect to be pushing hardest for this to be treated as a hate crime were not. For example. it was within a team. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, the Transgender uh, Law Center was one of the... uh, organizations that were advocating for Richard to be treated as a juvenile mm-hmm. because, you know, they were able to say, yes, this is a terrible thing, but we believe that juveniles are capable of learning from their wow. experience and should be given the opportunity. <laughs> I know. <It's, laughs> yeah. You know, so it's one of the things that made this book as incredibly heart-wrenching and difficult. Right. It was to live in this, you know, incident for three years. But there were so many examples of people um, looking beyond their kind of personal tribal, tri- you know, tribal affiliations, their silos of, you know, and really uh, showing compassion and concern for, you know, the larger community, for people outside of their own particular realm. Uh, let's let's get down to some nuts and bolts because we could be unpacking this all day. I know. Um, I mean, in a great way. I mean, can I just say very quickly, though, that one of the things I really appreciated about your book's perspective, and especially that it's for young people, is that it's a refreshing difference from the current discourse in America that there isn't just good and bad, black and white, mm-hmm. um, the protagonist and the antagonist. Right, it's, because you could have been writing this from either side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that's that's refreshing. The, ch- the path you chose to deal with this, first you wrote a really long article for the New York Times. Mm-hmm. What happens after that? So I had had this kind of secret fantasy in my mind of writing this as a book for young adults. As you're looking out the window at the horses. As I'm looking cats. out the, at the horses and the, and the cats frolicking on their backs. It was, you know, amazing. I saw it all. Why a nonfiction? Why did you have that idea, though? We were talking before, and I don't know of much YA nonfiction. Yeah, yeah, tell me. Uh, and and which was exactly what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. So my thought was, like, God, it would be so amazing to write this as a book for teenagers because I think they would really relate to these two kids and really be interested in this question of what is just and what is justice in this particular situation. And I was like, but I'm not sure that YA narrative nonfiction is a thing. Is it? Mm-hmm. 
Well, it is now. <laughs> I, know, I mean, I'm excited. I think it's really an exciting thing. It is, but once you make that decision, how do you adjust? How is it different than if you had written it for adults? The main difference um, really is that I didn't feel I needed to freight it with a whole lot of policy. You know, there's mm-hmm. policy in there, um, but, you know, it's in very discrete chunks and it's much more focused on the story. Whereas, you know, when we write nonfiction for adults, there's kind of this uh, this feeling that or expectation that it's there's going to we're going to we're going to make it serious by putting in a lot of policy. And there are, you know, very important policy questions, you know, embedded in this story. But uh, those have much less weight in a book for for young adults where the story is going to end up being what drives it. But did you have to consider getting having the same impact, the same effect as if you were writing the book for adults would have a lot of policy in explaining what's going on. Well, you need you want the kids to know that stuff, but you have to get it across just through scene, through story, through scene, mm-hmm. through story, through some explanation. You know, um, you know, there's a chapter that gives like a, a little primer on juvenile justice and why we have a juvenile justice system, for example. I mean, even the way you handled them, you know, it was just this kind of very quick, like, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be able to deal with it. Just roll with us right now. I think that's just an easy way to say it, you know, like, don't worry about it. This is what we're doing. Well, and one of the reasons that I could do that is because young adult, books for young adults in particular, there's a lot of genre explosion and Mm -hmm. experimental writing. And so I know that the audience for that, uh, you know, for anything Mm -hmm. that I write for them is fairly used to that, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're... They they have less of a sense of what they're supposed to be getting. And to what degree, and, and you must be an expert at this because you go all over the place, do you have to keep your audience in mind and say, oh, this is for teenagers. It's not for little kids. It's not for adults. It's for teenagers. How present is that thought in your mind when you're writing? It's present only in that I'm trying to, I mean, I am picturing kind of, you know, a teenager Um, who sometimes looks like Richard and sometimes looks like Sasha Mm -hmm. and sometimes looks like neither one of them. Um, And I always want to make sure that what I'm telling them is of interest to them. Right. Yeah, in a way that would be interesting. Yes. I mean, I've read, and I think it's true, that most YA readers are adults. And I could really see, for many adults, this is how they would want to encounter the story. They don't really... Do I really care about the complexities of, of... I don't know, whatever program. Not really. I just want to know why it matters. Right, right. And, you know, and this book has gotten you know, a fair amount of crossover marketing and, mm. you know, a lot of adults reading it. So, uh, you know, which is like, to me, it's the best of all possible worlds. Right. Like I wanted a book that that would get to teenagers because they're the ones who are going to have to build the, you know, the world of the future. Um, but, you know, I want adults to read it too. And you presented it to your agent as this is a YA book. Yeah, so before the article came out, I uh, sent her an email and said, so I have this article coming out, and I have this wacky idea that it could be YA nonfiction. I'm not even sure if that's a thing. Yeah, is that a thing? So, Is it a thing? Well, Can you tell me other titles? 
Uh, you know, I'm just fascinated by this. Yeah. So there's uh, there's some narrative. Uh, most of the YA narrative nonfiction is historical. I yeah, would think. Yeah. Would you consider yeah. those baseball biographies I read growing up well, to be YA? But that's non-fiction? what I was just thinking that they're yeah. all that uh, they're probably all very history, like you know the civil rights movement or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Um, and yeah. this wasn't a case if you wrote this article and someone approached you and said, hey, this would make a good book. Well, as it turned out, mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened mm-hmm. was that I sent this email to my editor, to my agent and said, you know, take a look and tell me what you think. And she got back to me as soon as the article came out, like literally the same day yeah. and said, uh, so remember that conversation we were going to have? We need to have it right now because it's coming in. Your editor. Yeah. Uh, so I had an editor at Forrest Strauss and Giroux. Uh, for one of my picture oh, books, nice. Who immediately was saw what I saw, right. and so she contacted my agent and said, "I want to do this," and uh, that's oh, and we were off to the races. Great. Do you think their their um, understanding of you was a reporter who writes children's books, which made it easier for them to go, "Oh, okay, now she's writing this big why," not like, "Well, oh, the children's book author." Right. Yes. Absolutely. People, you know, knew that I knew how to. Right, well, you know, nonfiction, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how has it been received? It's been amazing, actually. You know, I mean, I had a lot of fear about this book. There were so many ways that I thought uh, it could be misunderstood. Live in this community, that's a little scary. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is very much a hometown book. I mean, yeah. I really didn't want to get anything wrong about Oakland. Oh my god! And is yeah. it harder to? Do you think it would be harder to sell a book that didn't take sides? Uh, I thought that people might be angry at me for not taking sides. Mm -hmm. And in fact, some people have been angry at me for not taking sides. I could see that. Um, So, you know, I had a a lot of concern about that, how that was going to go over and whether readers would be able to do what I was asking them to do, which is to uh, sort of suspend the urge to condemn and to judge and just, you know, try and and hear Mm -hmm. the story of these two kids. And did you envision it when you were writing it as something that you hoped would be in a classroom someday? I did. I did. And to that end, did you already do your study guide and everything? Uh, well, as I mentioned earlier, I do have – there's a discussion guide that okay. – uh, the article was already being taught in classrooms. Right. So I knew that there were teachers who were using it and had an interest. And so I just went to them and said, so what kind of questions are you asking your kids? Mm-hmm. Um and it's been kind of amazing. It's being taught all over the country. I mean, I got emails today from uh, Colorado and Louisiana of, for, you know, places oh, that wow. are, you know, I mean, want to use it in their high schools. Yeah. And this may be difficult to quantify or to even put in words, but how does that feeling differ from the feeling of having a well-received novel? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really interesting question. Um you know, one thing about writing for children and young adults is that it's much less about you as the writer mm-hmm. than it is mm-hmm. for literary fiction. You know, when I when my novel came out and it was, you know, in that, you know, envelope of literary fiction, there's all this approval that you're trying to get right. from the other writers right. and mm-hmm. from people who are going to say, like, yes, you are a serious person and, you know, you are, a, you know shining literary light and all this stuff that you matter exactly you know <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna give you a house with a horse uh, it's coming babe 
but, you know, when you write for kids and young adults, all you're trying to do is to write something that's going to be meaningful to the reader. Isn't, isn't that also partly a nonfiction fiction thing? I mean, when you write fiction, the best thing that you can get out of it is people acknowledging that what's inside your head is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And when you're writing something like this, your purpose is not to be patted on the back for writing a beautiful story. That's true. That's true. It's on a different level. The thing is that um, the approval with young people comes with they're only going to like it if it's a good story. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, they they don't have time for that. And they really don't care (laughs) about you, the writer. You know, it's like in any way, it's like, is the book good? Right. Right. And that's, you know, beginning end. Do I, um, is, is this a good reading experience for me? Right. And there's something very pure about that that goes back to uh, that initial experience that I had as a, you know, young bookworm mm-hmm. of like loving books so mm-hmm. passionately Same. because they just, the experience was so fantastic. Well, we're, we're starting to wind down a little bit here. So I have to know, considering all the twists and turns, I think I might have called it erratic in the intro. But all the twists and turns <laughs> that your career has taken, now are you a nonfiction YA writer? <laughs> uh, well, the path continues to be erratic. What's that? Uh, yeah, tell us, <laughs> Now Dashka. she's writing a play. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Book poetry. Uh, Trapeze artist. Yes. God, how did you know? <laughs> While performing it. midwifery. So. I was just going to say that. Like, first it was baths, now it's trapeze. <laughs> it's very good for the hips. <laughs> So it continues to be really just a, a mishmash. I mean, today I literally, before I came here, I worked on a picture book. I uh, did some work on a couple of uh, nonfiction pieces, magazine pieces, and um, set up some meetings for what I hope will be my next YA book, which don't ask me about because I'm not yet able yes. to talk about it. But Understood. can you even say whether it's fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Okay. Oh, I'm excited about that. So that's yeah. cool. So then, I mean, it sounds like with the momentum you've got from this one, and I don't know about momentum from your prior books, but you seem to have a lot of momentum for this one, and maybe that's pushing you in an actual direction. <laughs> It would be such a good career move for me if I could uh, just stick to one thing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's always the thing that I haven't done that I'm most interested in doing. Oh, my God. Me too. That's how I get all of my work done is I do the thing I'm not supposed to be doing. Yes. That's how I get everything done. Yeah. Well, but I think you could encapsulate it and not to be too hokey, but you're just a working writer. Yeah. Yeah, just punching the clock. Yeah, I mean, you do a lot of stuff, but that's what you're doing. Cats be damned. <laughs> oh, no, they're coming. Do you have any cats? I do, I do. Horses? Dream fulfilled. Half of the dream is fulfilled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could still happen, I'm just saying. We are going to wind it down there. Uh, Dashka, tell our multitude of listeners uh, where they can find you online, where they can find your books. Do you have any appearances coming up? Uh, let's see. I will be at the Bay Area Book Festival this weekend. Yeah, that's you guys are going to miss that one. Yep, because yep. we're not coming out till two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. That's okay. So. But I'm glad you're going to be will there. Have been at the Bay Area. I will, which is a great book festival. <laughs> great. Uh, so you can find me online, uh, dashkaslater.com. And you know that autocorrect changes your name to Dashiki, right? I do. I <laughs> do. Which is kind of cool. You know, it's... Um, I like it. You like it? I do. It's uh, It's not good for people finding you, probably. No. Probably not. But uh, <laughs> maybe I need to go grab that domain name well, right know. now. <laughs> Dashka Slater and Dashiki Slater. Yeah. <laughs> 
So it's Dashka Slater, D-A-S-H. I'm inventing new letters. D-A-S-H-K-A-S-L-A-T-E-R.com. Correct. And you are on the Twitter talking about no hitters. I Ooh. Okay. And, 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 and I am. I am. By yes. the Oakland A's pitcher. That's right. Sean Manea. While wearing white shoes. Yes. <laughs> it's not hurting him, oh, Larry. at Dashka Slater. At Dashka Slater. Easy oh, to find me on Twitter. Good name. Good and uh, yeah, and the fifty-seven bucks, fifty-seven bucks. You see, you heard that? <laughs> the fifty-seven bus sold for just seventeen bucks, I believe. Uh, wherever fine books are sold, is there an audiobook? There is, yeah, it's, like and that. it's and the audiobook is really fantastic. I oh, love the reader on really? it. So, oh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Ooh, I might have to listen to it. What say you're looking you, at me, Larry? BQ, if someone were to want to find you, well, if Bridget Quinn, is... comma author. Uh, should they care to find me, Larry, they could go to BridgetQuinnAuthor.com or at BQuinterest, which is an amusing pun. Two ends. Yes. Uh, on Instagram or Twitter. And they can find me on Instagram and Twitter at that Larry Rosen. And of course, if you can't get enough of me, I do have another podcast, which you can find at IsItGoodForTheJews.com. Total left turn right there. Wait, when you do... Is it good for the Jews? Do, Do I you talk say, about the grotto yeah, nah, never, never. That makes me angry. Never, never I'm going to start protesting. <laughs> All right, I want to thank As our a crossover listener. Before you thank people, okay. why don't you talk about some partnerships we have? Going? Okay, yes, um, especially partnerships with Babylon Salon, San Francisco's premier literary series. Next which, up, June fourth. June fourth in the city at the Armory Club. Is that what's called? The yeah, Armory Club. the Armory Club. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. I will be there, raffling off stuff. Yes, you could get a Grotto Pod sweatshirt, T-shirt, Grotto Pod on your back. Yep, just like that. But also, the San Francisco Public Library are fabulous partners. They launch whole careers. By the way, you could just go to the library, get a book. And learn how to write a children's book. That's right. Um, and we are going to be having a great live podcast with Vanessa Waugh in our first ever ever um, series, episode in our series, My Favorite Book. That will be on May 22nd, I believe. Yes. So, you know what? You should look at the Grottopod and find out. But I want to say... Um, when can we tell people what the favorite book is? Is that like not tell? Let's hold off. No hints. On that, okay. We'll, uh, we'll you guys you are know. gonna you're gonna like it. Um, and now, why don't you thank the people? Who okay. Yes. Well, I'd like to thank Beth Weingarner, our producer, who is the reason that our fabulous guest is here today, mm-hmm. and also Lee Kravitz and Lori Ann Doyle. And remember, you can always find us on Twitter at the Grotto Pod, or send us an email at grottopod at gmail. That's it. I know. Poor Dashka. Now she she could have had lunch at this much time. I know while we're talking. But (laughs) we have one more thing to say and then we can go. Yeah, this is it. Read, write, and just keep working. Mm -hmm.